Well, a joy to be with you all as we've gathered here to rest and to worship in our Lord Jesus. A little bit of technical difficulty, but hopefully we'll get there. And as you've heard over and over, our theme, our series in this Christmas season is God with us. God with us. And how powerful is those, are those words. And our anchoring verse comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew was a follower of Jesus, uh, and he wrote a historical account of the birth and life and ministry and ultimate death and resurrection of Jesus. And it comes from Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. It says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You know, it's such a beautiful phrase, this history-shifting, life-transforming, theologically confounding phrase. And I hope that it can challenge and even shape the way you think about God and the way he impacts each and every one of our lives. In these past few weeks, we've looked at what it means for God to be with us in the valley, those low points of our lives where we feel like there's no hope of rescue. We, last week, Pastor Scott led us to look at what it means for God to be with us in the wilderness where we feel lost and abandoned in those moments where we feel so far from God. And today we want to look at God with us in the storm. God with us in the storm. A little bit of a unique, different look. Now, uh, one thing unique about this season, as we have had, I have school-age children in my house, is that one thing that they've lost is, especially as winter is here and is approaching, are snow days. And I know if you're a student, I'm sorry, but that will probably forever change because we can always just go virtual or hybrid. Now, when I was growing up, uh, you know, I've shared I'm not from Michigan, that I did not have snow days growing up. What we had instead were hurricane days. I grew up in Florida. Uh, hurricane days, very, little, very different from a snow day. But I remember one year I had almost three weeks off because of hurricanes. We just kept coming, having hurricane after hurricane. And very similar uh, to a snow day, but we, we, we loved it. Obviously not for those who are impacted greatly, but as a student, it was great having those three weeks off. And what we did is, uh, when we knew a hurricane was coming, our city, because we lived on the beach, we would shut everything down, uh, board up things, and even our house we would lock down, and we would travel inland, which is north for us, uh, to escape the storm. And the whole, the whole time we're hoping that the worst thing that could happen is maybe a tree would fall or a fence be uh, taken down. But when we came back, we saw, uh, you know, the storm rarely left anyone uh, unscathed. Everyone was impacted in some way or another. The whole city kind of responded as they experienced the storm together. But when we talk about a storm of life, it can be very different. A storm of life can be very, very different. It can feel like you're in the most devastating storm of your life. You can feel like the rain is just pouring down. It can feel like the skies are all dark and the wind is just thrashing you from side to side and you can't even see six feet in front of you. Yet, the person across from you could be experiencing just blue skies and sunshine. So you can feel terribly lonely. It can feel terribly isolating. It can feel terribly defeating. Feeling like no one is experiencing the same storm that you are. And let us remember now, deeper than our minds and hearts can say, but in our very souls, that God is with you. That God is with us. 
and that you are never alone. And this journey can be very, very difficult. So we're going to use our text as it was beautifully read uh, by Pastor Dave from Lamentations as a guide for us as we understand what it means for God to be with us in that storm, as we acknowledge the loss that we're all going through, in the midst of it, how we remember to hope, and finally, how we learn to wait. Acknowledging loss, remembering hope, and learning to wait. See, one scholar, when, when she was looking at the book of Lamentations, uh, one scholar, as she was studying, said in structure and imagery uh, in this book, she said it's almost like a violent, raging whirlwind or storm. The very structure of the book is shaped through these chapters of this whirlwind of uh, the storm hitting this author over and over again. And most scholars say the author of Lamentations is the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, 600 years before Christ, was writing about his firsthand experience of seeing the very destruction of his city. Was writing a firsthand experience of the loss of what was once the very final piece of the promised land. As the conquering Babylonians came, they came and destroyed his homeland, his people. And the very symbol of God, the very temple of God, and the city of God in Jerusalem was being destroyed. And Jeremiah is writing about this experience in the book of Lamentations. In, very, in the very first chapter, verse 1 and 2, listen to how uh, Jeremiah's firsthand accounts goes. It says this, How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she who once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night, tears on her cheeks. Tears are on her cheeks. See, Jeremiah, the prophet, was right in the middle of the storm. Everything was being taken from him. And when you're in the middle of the storm and you feel like everything is coming down on you, everything in us wants to flip the page. Everything in us wants to move towards hope and get to that point of restoration. But there's something about acknowledging loss when we're in the middle of the storm. The author, theologian, professor, and pastor, Sung Chan Ra, challenges modern-day Christianity, and he tells, and, and he challenges modern-day Christians to engage with suffering and loss in a different way. He says, an engagement that acknowledges suffering rather than glossing over it. An engagement that acknowledges suffering rather than glossing over it. And he goes on to say, shalom requires lament. Shalom, the very wholeness of God, the restorative unity with God, the peace of God requires us to recognize lament and loss. And for the next two and a half chapters of Lamentations, the very first two and a half chapters, that's exactly what Jeremiah does. He acknowledges the loss and laments over it. And let's go back to our text, Lamentations 3, 19 and 20. I remember my affliction and my wandering and the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them and my soul is downcast within me. So many of us are looking forward to Christmas. So many of us are ready to flip that page to 20. 21. So many of us are looking forward to when things can get back to some resemblance of normalcy. I want to challenge us that God is creating space for us now in this Advent season 
to acknowledge the loss in our hearts and in our lives. The loss of memories, the loss of loved ones, loss of friendships, loss of graduations, the loss of memories that were planned, vacations robbed, dreams taken away. And God says in all that, acknowledge that loss. Recently in our small group, uh, we were talking about how we've grown in intimacy with God and how in different seasons of life it was through study or worship or community. And we just, we just got honest and said, in this season, we've grown intimate with Jesus through suffering and loss. That Jesus knows what it means to weep. Jesus knows what it means to feel isolated. Jesus knows what it means to feel like there's no one out there. And somehow there's a sweetness in acknowledging those things. God gives us space to be honest. See, when we're in the middle of the storm, it's okay to say that we're in the middle of a storm. It's okay to say that things aren't going well. We don't have to put up a brave face. We don't have to minimize or trivialize our losses. And we don't have to ignore the pain or what we're going through. So we lament in the storm. And we say things are hard right now. And we don't let it bring us to a place of defeating. But it brings us to a place to remember who God is that we remember to hope. And that's exactly what Jeremiah does in Lamentations. Verse 21, he says this, yet this I call to mind. Here's Jeremiah sitting in the midst of a storm. He says, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Now, when you see storms and hurricanes on radars, you usually see this eye of the storm. Uh, And it's a unique place to be, especially in a hurricane. It's this eerily uh, calm and peaceful place. Now, for those hurricanes that we didn't evacuate, and we kind of just weathered through in our home, uh, it was strange to experience as it goes right over us. It's, you know, at one moment, all, the sky's all dark, and the wind is uh, pounding, and the rain is coming, and almost sees like in a split second, everything gets really calm. And I remember one time when I was a high schooler, my buddy and I thought that was so interesting, and we went out and played basketball, and because it was all sunny and blue skies, and you could see impacts of the storm, but everything was clear for that moment. And almost as quickly, uh, the rain comes, and uh, things get kind of crazy pretty quickly. In this verse, we get this eye of the storm moment for Jeremiah. See, while the storm is raging around him, he has this moment of clarity to remind himself of the hope that he has. And what is that hope that Jeremiah calls to mind? Verse 22 and 23. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. The storm is raging, but we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Our hope does not come from people, circumstances, even our own strength, nor does it come even from the rescue of hope from the storm. Let's say that again. Our hope doesn't come from people, circumstances, or even our own strength, or even from the hope of rescue from the storm, but it comes from God who is with us, God who loves us, God who's compassionate towards us, God who longly, uh, lovingly moves towards us in our brokenness. See, every night you go to bed where you feel bruised and broken and beaten and wake up renewed in his mercy and grace. It is only because God is faithful to his promises. 
and that promises this, and you can take this for the rest of your life, that God says, I am your God and you are mine. No matter the storm, remember that promise. God of the universe who spoke and created all things says, I am your God and you are mine. And I sit with you in your storm. The God who promises to be with you. See, no one knows the struggles, your stories, the conditions in which brought you to this place today. No one knows the the struggles and the hostility and the devastation and the feedingness and the loneliness, the exhaustion, the utter feeling like you have no one else to turn to but God. And your depths of pain is only matched and exceeded by the depths of mercy and grace given to you by God himself. He says he has not forgotten you. And while the storm rages on, God says, remember me. I'm with you. And he sits with you and says, wait for me. And that's exactly what Jeremiah does. Verse 24, Jeremiah says says this, I say to myself, I know the reality of the storm. I know God's with me. He says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Therefore, I will wait for him. You know, one of the things that we can all agree on is that nobody likes to wait. That's not really a controversial statement. Whether it's waiting in line at the grocery store, whether it's waiting in line, waiting in traffic on the road, whether it's waiting, in, uh, waiting at a doctor's office, no one likes to wait. And I've seen people lose their temper in the craziest ways in those seasons of Waiting, But as adults, we've learned to deal with it in some capacity or another, or uh, I hope so when we're uh, more in a mature phase of our lives. But there's really no waiting like a child who waits for Christmas, especially when that Christmas tree and the Christmas lights go up. Uh, That waiting season in these few weeks can be some of the hardest times of waiting for anyone, especially a child, and I know this to be true because of my children, but especially my four-year-old. My four-year-old for the past week and every day, she wakes up thinking it's Christmas, and she is so disappointed every day when she finds out it is not Christmas yet. That waiting is just wearing on her uh, as she longingly waits for the day when she can finally open all her presents. Now, MIT researcher and the world's leading expert in waiting, Richard Larson. Now, that sounds like something I made up, uh, like, you know, world's leading expert in bubble blowing, which is actually also Richard Larson. I kid, no, that's not true. But he is a researcher and leading expert on studies about waiting. And he says this profound statement after all his studies, and he says, waiting is hard, right? We all know that. I don't know how he gets paid to do these studies. No, he says this, waiting is hard. But he says it's really less to do with how long you wait, but more what you do while you're waiting impacts how you feel about waiting. Jeremiah, our prophet, would wait and wait and wait, and in his lifetime, he would never see the restoration of a city or his temple or the temple of God. But I think Jeremiah could have even waited longer than that because he knew what it meant to sit with God. More than the storm around them, he knew what it to be wholly consumed by God. 
none of that mattered, the storm around him, because the Lord was his portion. See, what he did during his waiting was to be consumed by God and who he was. See, waiting is hard. Waiting is painful. And waiting can feel like the storm will never let up. But the more we focus on being consumed by God and less about the storm around us, it makes the waiting seem less like waiting and more like resting. See, the more we consume consume with God, the waiting seems less like waiting and more like resting with the God of the universe who wants to sit with us. And God doesn't say, well, you know, those things are important. The storm is not that important. But he says, keep your eyes on me. Focus on me, and I will give you rest. I will give you peace, and I will sit with you. While the storms of life may not relent, I am solid, the rock you can put your faith and life on. I want to close our time with a story of uh, a dear friend, and I want to invite him up. You can make your way in stage this way. Nate Grubaugh, who is an elder here at Ward and a, a good friend. And we've all experienced storms in this season, but Nate and his family faced a particular storm. And I was wondering if you could share that story with our church today. Sure, thank you, Soon. Um, so uh, my wife and I have four children. Uh, I have a daughter who's 14, a son 12, a son six, and a uh, terrible two about to be three. Uh, and in uh, 2019, uh, we head back to school and uh, we're doing sort of the normal life for a family of six and, um, you know, things are, things are okay. And uh, we start the school year and I'm a teacher. I've got three kids at school and uh, my son Shepard um, sort of out of the blue begins complaining about headaches and lots of crying, lots of tears, lots of emotion at the house and at school and we kind of chalk it up into the transition into the school year and uh, and his younger sister is getting a tremendous amount of attention as well so uh, we think that these are some sort of the typical family squabbles Um, but we decide we're gonna we'll go ahead and take him into the pediatrician he has his well visit and uh, and the pediatrician says well he he does have a a speech delay uh, that's uh, that seems to continue, hasn't shown a whole lot of growth. And so why don't we just cross our T's and, and dot our I's? And so um, we uh, scheduled an, an MRI for him uh, that was going to be in March of 2020. And of course, then the pandemic hits and uh, school closes down. It's a Friday, March 13th. We go virtual with teaching and with learning. and blow and behold if this kid's headaches go away and uh, it seems for me to kind of chalk it up to yeah this is sibling rivalry and and everything and uh, and really things are all right kids you know you know zoom lessons and everything they're a picnic but for the rest of it it was not too bad Um, we get a call in in March then uh, late March to ask you know about the MRI and uh, you know, we share with the doctors that his headaches seem to be going away. You know, we're not so sure we want to bring a healthy family into a hospital. There's a lot of questions about where things are at with the pandemic. And so we decide to postpone uh, the MRI to the summer. Uh, so fast forward, uh, it's uh, mid-July, and it's time for him to go in for his MRI. We take him in for the MRI, 
and they say we're going to do high contrast as well and we get the news that he has a tumor so now he's in the hospital for five days with my wife uh, 24 7 his head is all wrapped up he's got EKGs and EEGs and QRL, MOP, QRS kinds of things going on and, and looking for what's happening. And I'm home with the other three kids trying to explain where Shepard is and uh, why mommy's not home and there's a lot of uncertainty and fear. Um, he comes home for a week and we're still waiting now for the, uh, the surgical procedure. And uh, then in early August, he has his surgery and they take a piece and they send it off for it to be tested. And uh, we're waiting again uh, in the uncertainty, and uh, it comes back, and we find out it's benign. Yeah, I, I know that feeling. Our oldest had a, a mass, and it feels like the world stops when you go to that doctor, and we were sharing just before the service what that feels like. What the, it feels like the storms are raging, and you don't even know uh, how to think properly. Uh, can you share a little bit of how your faith was so, faith was impacted during that season? Yeah, it was reminded of Psalm 103, um, 13 and 14. It talks about God's compassion and that he, he's mindful that in our frame that we're dust. And I'd like to say that uh, during that time that we were champions of the faith at every turn. Um, we certainly were praying. We were certainly in God's word. Um, we, were, we were certainly looking to God's um, comfort during that time. Um, and we felt it. And the way it manifested itself was through our church, through friends and family and colleagues. Um, this church came beside us in remarkable and powerful ways with meals, um, a quilt for my son, uh, encouraging notes and letters. Um, the MOPS group uh, was such a huge support to my wife. Um, I had colleagues who did a drive-by and uh, dropped off toys and gifts for the kids to play with. So our faith was constantly renewed during that time um, through the gift of our church and our family and our community. Yeah, and I know that for some of us, we're right in the middle of that storm. And for Shepard, good news, it's benign, but I know we're still waiting on test results and we don't know what this next season ha uh, has. But for those of us that are right in the middle of that diagnosis or in that middle of that crisis, that storm of life, uh, how would you encourage them, especially in light of our passage today, about how his mercies and compassions and grace are new every morning? How was that impactful for you and how could you challenge our church? Well, I guess for me... I'm mindful that God doesn't change. He's an unchanging God in his love and his compassion. Um, so whether whatever happened yesterday and whatever happened today and whatever happening tomorrow, those uncertainties can be there, but God's love for us doesn't change. And something my mom used to tell me was, keep on keeping on, keep moving forward, lean into God, lean into believers around you, lean into your church. Uh, this is an amazing group of people uh, who love the Lord and um, have just seen amazing things come from this church, and I'm just so thankful. Nate, thank you for sharing your story. I want to end by, church, could we pray for Nate, uh, his family, and Shepherd as well? God, thank you for the goodness of who you are. And right now, church, we pray for 
Nate, and we pray for Christy and their family, and we pray for Shepherd. Lord, may you give them peace. And Lord, even in these next stages, next, next days, next season, uh, Lord, may you continue to shower them with healing and pray for uh, just comfort and that, God, you are with them every step of the journey. And Lord, we pray for all people here, Lord, that we don't know where we are in that story and whether we're right in the middle of that right now. God, may you bring that comfort and peace. Uh, Lord, that may you bring that assurance to know that you are with us, uh, even in the darkest days of the storm. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nate, for sharing. Well, I want to invite our musicians back onto the stage because as we end our service uh, and end our time with a benediction, as we always do, a good word, uh, we're going to sing together. We're going sing to sing the chorus that we give you all the glory because we know that the storms of life may pound us, uh, may overwhelm us, but we know when we live this, leave this place, that our lives are about giving glory to God as our benediction to the community. So I invite you to stand, if you're able, and sing this chorus as our benediction as we end our service. us. Let us remember that as we go forth. Go in peace. Amen.